Old Man Winter here. If I had it my way, it would stay winter all year long. Short days, wind chill, black ice and a good polar vortex. Oh, <laughs> heaven. Wait, is it getting warm in here? Your cold snap is over, Old Man Winter. Spring has arrived. Spring. Spring is here, which means it's the perfect time to get away in the Hyundai you've always wanted. Visit the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event, where you can get great deals on all of our award-winning Hyundai models, like the tech-filled Tucson and Kona, as well as the spacious Palisade. Enjoy wherever you go with the peace of mind that comes with America's best warranty and three years or 36,000 miles of complimentary maintenance. But hurry in. These deals won't last. Add more joy to your journey at the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Now get 0% APR or up to 1500 bonus cash on the Hyundai Tucson. Now, during the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Offers end soon. Call 562-314-4603 for details. And welcome, and welcome to in. the show. <laughs> well, it sounds like we're in stereo. Go ahead, Keith. Be my guest. You got, you got an echo. Welcome. Wasn't sure the you were there. <laughs> Huntfish Talk, huh? Our monthly show, and we discuss the hot topics that uh, concern the sportsmen here in South Louisiana. Glad to have you listening this morning. I'm Keith Lusher, and well, I'll be steering the ship or, or the uh, the boat. We can call it this morning. I uh, have along with me uh, Wendy. The Bayou Woman, Bill Wendy is the president of uh, Louisiana Outdoor Writers Association uh, and doing a fine job at it, if I must say so. Good morning to you, Wendy. Good morning from the Bayou. How are you gentlemen this morning? Doing really good. Enjoying this little little cool break that we have. It looks like the heat's going to return. And, of course, uh, you just heard him, Don Dubuque. So, uh, so, guys, if I'm driving the boat here, and Wendy's the deckhand, and, and I gotta say that Don's probably the rudder, just in case we get off board. Is that is that correct, Don? <laughs> I, I got my life jacket on. I'm ready to go. So what you're telling me is I've been I've been demoted. <laughs> oh, oh no no not 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 the president of the uh, Louisiana Outdoor Riders Association. I, I think Wendy. I can I think I can handle deckhand for an hour. I think I got this. <laughs> Well, Don, I got to say, I, I think we should uh, have Isabel uh, hosting this show. I think she could step right in and, and not miss a beat. You know, I knew she was going to be good, but I had no idea she was going to be that good. I mean, she just took off and ran with it. I went and got a drink of coffee and stuff and while she was going. She's doing a good job for an 8-year-old. Yeah, very smooth, very confident. Like it, like it, like it. Enjoyed it tremendously. All right, well, I let's missed get to it. I missed it. I'm sorry, I missed it. Who's Isabel? What did I miss? That's my eight-year-old granddaughter who uh, kind of stole the show this morning, last hour. You oh, go wonderful. Back and listen to the, you need to go back and listen to the podcast. You don't want to miss it. I will. This. I'm sorry I missed it. She gave us the complete rundown on her menagerie. Every horse, every dog, every cat, and also the, the rabbit. <laughs> Birthdays and also, included. And my daughter has horses, too, and I get the same feeling that she's, she might be at the same barn here talking about how cuckoo all the horses are. Right. <laughs> all right, well, well let's get our top. Go ahead, Don. Oh, I was just going to say she's taking me to the, uh, the, the Repticon in Daphne, Alabama, later this morning. We're going to go. She's, she's a, she loves reptiles, particularly the venomous, venomous ones. Yeah, so like she's got something with venomous snakes. <laughs> uh, All right, well, can let's I get... just give y'all a quick do large update too. I don't know how the fishing's been over there in Venice and stuff, but 
they've just about not slacked off fishing here. There's the the guides are still hauling in loads of speckled trout and red drum, which I've been told isn't unusual, but I really remember there being a serious lull in the fishing in August and September, but I really haven't seen that things have slacked off down here. At least if you can go by social media and trust that those are current photos and current customers, they're still going great guns. I'm glad to hear that. I'm coming down there next Thursday to fish in Cocodry. Well, good. I, I hope you I need see some more trout. of the same. Yeah, yeah my, my freeze is empty of trout. You know, i, I got to blame this all on that high Mississippi River. I think it's pushed a lot of speckled trout towards that way. Well, I think you might be right, and I'm wondering if we might not even um, have a show to talk about about not only that, the Mississippi River, but the opening of the Bonnie Carey and, and how you've got that fresh water coming down, and then we asked for federal disaster relief because now we're, you know, we've got damage to the saltwater fishery. So that's a whole nother can of worms. Yeah, yeah. We're seeing a great improvement in fishing, too, here on the North Shore, but that that's a result of the, the spillway being closed. But it sounds like the rest of the, the uh, South Louisiana was dealing with that fresh water, too, and it, it looks like we're kind of reaping rewards, all those fish coming back up into the marshes. So that's really good to hear. Well, guys, let's get to the topics here. And, and uh, you know, it's something that ties into what we discuss every month here on Hunt Fish Talk. You know, it's coastal erosion, like Wendy said, uh, private waters, r- river, uh, freshwater diversions, um, the state of Louisiana Department of Wildlife and Fisheries, uh, you name it, the next governor plays a vital role in helping uh, to solve some of the problems that we face as sportsmen here in Louisiana. Now, I'm sure if you're like me, you've seen all the signs plastered all over with the candidates that are running for governor this October. Uh, October 12th is Election Day, and this morning we're going to discuss some different things that, that we all care about as sportsmen here in the state of Louisiana, you know. In other states, you might not have a majority of people that fall into the category of hunters and and fishermen, but I think there's a good percentage of people, probably the majority of people in in Louisiana, that would say it matters to them where the candidates fall on issues like conservation, uh, hunting and fishing, everything related to the outdoors. So this morning we're going to cover some issues that matter to us and maybe You'll hear something that will pique your interest and, and make you do your own research into where the candidates fall on, on certain issues. Um, also, later on, we're going to be talking about some changes to the LOWA fish records procedures, uh, as, as well as may or may not know in all the other states, uh, the fish records are run by the Department of Wildlife and Fisheries uh, for that state. But here, well, we do it a little bit different. Our Outdoor Writers Association handles that and and does a fantastic job with it Um, but we have a a few changes to the fish records procedures that we're going to let you know about also uh, we have a few new categories of fish that that was added to the list of records in 2019 that that they'll be uh, recording starting this year so some wide open categories that, that basically anyone that catches that type of fish can qualify for so we'll talk about all the changes in detail um, later on in the show. But let's get to our first topic here, and that is the gubernatorial race and some questions that we've come up with on the show. So we'll go down the list, and, and I'd like to get your take, Don and Wendy, on each question. Where does it rank for you, and where do you, do you think the sportsmen and sportswomen of the state fall when it comes to these questions? Um, do you think it's something that matters to them, 
and will make a difference in determining who they vote for. So, uh, you know, the first question, and this may be the most important question, but I'll let you two be the judge of that. It's the private waters issues. Um, it's sweeping across Louisiana. It, it all started over there in the West Louisiana and it seems like it's worked its way East. And now it's not uncommon to, you know, for anyone to come up on a canal or an inlet that they, they used to fish. And now it has a sign saying, keep out private property. Um, we've already lost numerous fishing tournaments because of the private waters that, that are being claimed. Uh, it's really a mess for, for tournament trails to come here and, and mark down what's legal water to fish and what's, what's not. So, they're just throwing their hands up and saying, you know what, and just cross out the state of Louisiana on the list and, and be done with it. So it's, it's causing us to lose tourism dollars and tax dollars, not to mention it's just another black eye for the state. So um, also it's changing the landscape of the, of, of the fishing here in Louisiana, you know, for, for the everyday angler and the charter captain. So I'll ask you, Don, we'll start with you and get your take on this. How important is this issue as far as you being a voter, and how important do you think it is for the majority of the voters in Louisiana? Well, Keith, you did a great job on outlining the problem. Um, I do believe this is the second most pressing issue for the gubernatorial candidates, the first being one we'll talk about later, the, the coastal erosion problem. That's an existentialist problem. If we don't have a place, we don't have anything to argue over, whether it's private or private or public, if it's not there. But getting back to this particular topic, uh, it's a very complex problem. It, it dates way back, and uh, I've tried to think about solutions. And the only thing that I can come up with is uh, the first thing that needs to be done, and I hope the gubernatorial candidates recognize this, is, is getting the, the area mapped out properly so that there is official designation, what is private, what is public, have it tested so that people will at least know and we don't have these controversies arising when people unknowingly go on to some of these places. As far as getting the law changed, and I hear people saying, oh, it should be like all the other states, we should just open it up. If a boat can get in there, they should have the right to go fish in there. Our Louisiana laws are different than everyone else's, and it does not allow for that. If you change the law, and that could be done, but then I think you're going to have some, it'll go to the courts, and the landowners will win because it would come under the takings law. If you take something away from somebody by law, you have to make them whole and pay them for it. And we don't have near the amount of money to buy all that land back from people or even buy the rights to it there. Uh, I don't know what the answer is. I, I thought maybe about uh, allowing some special tax breaks for the landowners who allow public use of their areas, but I think they've just about got all the tax breaks they can be given. I think that's already <laughs> been done, so there's nothing for them to gain. So they want to, you know, make capitalize on it, and they're going to maybe post it and, and allow memberships to go in there and that type of thing. It's a very serious problem, not quite as, as problematic as coastal erosion, but I say it ranks number two. Wendy, your thoughts? Oh, Keith, you you wanted a rant. No, I'm not, I'm not going to rant on this one. Um, you know, this is not at the top of the list for me because this is a complex issue which has become a big issue um, for those who are screaming the loudest about it. But I think what we, another facet of this that we don't really realize is that this is not the same across all of the coastal waters of Louisiana because, you know, what goes on, and you said it started in the West, and I'm not really familiar with that, 
where I first started hearing about this were guides down in open bays around Golden Meadow who were run out, and there was no indication that they were trespassing whatsoever. And I understand that. If if I went into an open bay and run, were run out, I wouldn't, I wouldn't know that I was trespassing. But it's not... In other words, it's not the same. It's not applied the same in every area across coastal Louisiana. In August, I had the opportunity to fish with a very well-known bass fisherman over from the Atchafalaya area, an older gentleman, um, a really good guy. Everybody knows him, respects him, and, and, and I thought highly of him. He brought this topic up to me, and he said that he was approached by the Sportsman Coalition to back them and sponsor them, and he said, First of all, you know, this is going to have to be legislated, just like Don said. He said, but that's not really the problem. He said, the major landowners have very good reasons for why they have blocked that access. And until we recognize what those reasons are and the inherent inherent liability connected with that, we're not going to be able to change things. He said, one major landowner around Lake Verrett finally had to put up some serious gates because poachers were trespassing through his waterways to hunt illegally at night. And whether it were alligator or deer or whatever it was, he finally, that was his only resolution to put a stop to it. Was it his desire to keep everybody out? No, it wasn't. So my point is, it's a complex issue legally, but it's also a complex issue because of all the different facets and the way this has played out. And that bass fishing gentleman said, you know, I really think there's plenty of um, open public water for everyone in Louisiana to fish, and I agree with him. And he said, really, these people have shot themselves in the foot by bringing so much attention to this issue when they should have just quietly respected the boundaries and gone about their own business fishing. Now, I know that kind of simplifies things for some people, but to me this is not our number one issue. It's a very, very complex issue, and Don mentioned mapping. Well, I would like to see a gubernatorial candidate have a plan for mapping that out because we've all been told the state doesn't have the resources to do the mapping, and it's going to cost a lot of money even to do the mapping, correct me if I'm wrong, Don, but I'm pretty sure we talked about that maybe at the conference. The mapping is, is going to be a major undertaking. Would it be beneficial? Yes, it would be. Because if the law isn't going to change, then we have to know some way where to go and not to go, and especially if we want the tournaments to come back. So for me, this is down there probably around maybe number three, four, five, something like that on the list of questions. Okay, interesting. Yes, you, you, you mentioned complex, and it, boy, is it complex. You know, there's like three levels. There's is it legal, first of all, and then there's the, the landowner that wants to block the water. Then there's the, the landowner that doesn't care. So, in effect, it's public. So, I think it is going to come down to a master map, and whew, boy, is that, that going to be a task to, to map out mm-hmm. something like that. But we are running. We need to get to a break here, and, and we're going to move on to our next question. Um, we're going to pick up with, um, you know, what the sportsmen care about here in Louisiana. And, you know, election is October 12th. It's coming up. Uh, do you know where the candidates stand? 
We'll be right back. You're listening to Hunt Fish Talk or More Outdoors. And welcome back to the show, Hunt Fish Talk. We're discussing the upcoming gubernatorial election. Uh, we're going over some important questions at top of the list for those who care about the outdoors, uh, hunting and fishing, and just conserving uh, what we have in this state. Don and Wendy, uh, we covered the topic of private waters, and we could probably discuss that for the whole hour if need be. But uh, the next on the list that we need to get to is uh, coastal erosion. Um, it's something that, that seems like it, it's always leading the pack as far as importance because, uh, let's face it, if we're losing marshland and wetlands at a rapid pace, and if there's nothing done about it, well, I mean, you could just do the math and see what land will be gone, you know, in the next few years. Uh, geomorphologists, they have determined that the best way to fight the problem is to install two large-scale diversions in Blackman's Parish. Now, commercial fishermen and, and some recreational anglers, they're concerned the diversions will drastically alter their lives while providing, they say, minimal benefits. So... You have two sides of this battle. One side won't be happy either way, but something has to be done. Wendy, we'll start with you. Where does this rank on your list of importance as far as voting for a candidate? Um, it ranks up there um, at the top for me. But, you know, I'm concerned about something here. Um, if we just if we look at the Bonacary being opened, um, for longer than it's ever been in its history this year, right? And that fresh water, that, and we're talking about diversions here in Plaquemines Parish, you know, in order in order to restore marsh. And so a couple of things real quick. I would hope that the governor would would educate himself or about how all that works. But the thing is, that fresh water went all the way into the Mississippi. Um, saltwater fisheries, so much so that not only did Mississippi ask for federal disaster relief because of the fresh water impacting, negatively impacting the fishery, so did Louisiana. So now we're going to turn around and we're purposefully digging these diversions and are we going to offer, you know, does govern, would, would the gubernatorial candidate have a plan for how are we going to compensate these people? Are we going to compensate these people? But at the same time, we're asking the federal government to claim this a disaster area when the Bonnie Carey let freshwater in. Do you understand what I'm saying? Now we've got yeah. another complex issue here. It's not as simple as are the diversions going to work or are they not? So yeah, another complex issue. Yeah, I see what Go you're ahead. saying. If we voluntarily flood the area, are we gonna are we gonna ask for disaster relief? Correct. <laughs> that's, my, that's my whole point. Yeah. <laughs> that's my whole point. So this year created to me a new facet in whether or not we want diversions and are we gonna ask for help? Do they need compensation? And I've said this before when we've talked about diversions. Historically, people had to go further south. Okay, before the saltwater encroachment, before the you know the the receding of the coastline, people had to go further south to do their saltwater endeavors, fishing and and whatever they're doing, oystering and crabbing and whatever. But it's just been such a slow decline that we've forgotten that we had to travel further, and and you know so the people behind the diversions. 
the minds behind those diversions are saying, we're just going to go back to the way things were. We're hoping this this is going to bring us back to that point. So I don't know. Yeah, yeah. And, and you know, I've done a lot of thinking on this, and, and I don't know. It comes up a lot. I mean, it's just, it's just a tough thing to tackle. I think you got two levels. you got – two levels of importance you got you know people on the recreational side who care about the fishing and then you got another side which is actually you know losing their home or you know the land trying to build up the land so definitely a complex issue don can i get your take on it well wendy brings up a very good point uh you know you we can't call for this and then turn around and ask for relief funds from the federal government that's <laughs> that's not going to fly uh and it's even time. a much more it's much more complex issue than whether you divert a dredge. I mean, now we've got uh, resistance coming from people about it's going to it's going to kill the dolphins. Uh, there was a recent study done by LSU that said there may be and very well may be a scouring effect that the diversions mm-hmm. will actually do more harm and destroy more wetlands than the rate they would rebuild them. Uh, right. You know, and and I think and then you got hurricane protection comes into it as well, which factors out some of the the natural resource issues. Um, and then on top of that, my biggest con- – this is, by the way, the number one issue for the governor's race, and I wish these candidates would say, look, I'm going to take the bull by the horns and we're going to work this coastal master plan until we get together on it because nobody's together on it right now. you got sides fighting over diversion and dredging, and you got Washington looking up there saying, you can't, people can't even make up your mind on what you want to do, but you're coming to us for extra money because you don't have it to do this restoration. Uh, it's a real dire situation. Um, but even above the divert versus dredging, I think there could probably be some happy medium. I think both things work. I think you got to have them both. Now, which one you put more of than the other? Is it going to be 80 dredging and 10 diver- 20 diverting, or is it going to be the other way around? That's to be worked out. But the major problem with the whole coastal restoration issue, and I think people are whistling past the graveyard, is the funding. We do not have near the money for the master plan. We're not even close to getting it, and there's no plans down the road to where it's going to come from, not only to complete the project, the plan itself, but then for the extended maintenance period, which goes on infinitum. You can't just rebuild it and then that's it. We're done. Walk away. You're going to have to continually have programs to continually replenish it and keep it going. And I don't see that money coming from anywhere. I think the governor's most important task would be to say, number one, we're going to get a master plan that everyone agrees with, which that may be impossible. And two, we're going to find that money to fund it because without that money to do it, we're wasting what we're spending into it. And those are the two big issues. And I don't hear that coming from any governor candidate's mouth right now. I don't even think a couple of the candidates didn't even have anything about that on their on their flyers, their mail outs. Well, I don't yeah. think they want to handle issue. it. Yeah, it's too hot of an issue. To it. They don't well, want to lose either side. It is the number one issue for coastal residents. Absolutely. It is. Coastal restoration is the number one issue. This is the main thing that that is on people's minds. Yeah, I mean, we, we all know the diversions. I, I believe they work. We took a tour uh, when we went down to Morgan City and saw the, you know, the new islands created by the freshwater diversion uh, around Wax Lake. So it definitely works. It's just a matter of, like Don said, it's funding. Um, you know, the fishery is going to take a hit, but it, you know, I think it's not getting mentioned because maybe they don't have a, 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 a you know, anything to solve it. They don't have. <laughs> an idea to solve this. I, and when it comes down to it, I, you know, I'm not sure 
if maybe there there is no way to solve it. You know, maybe it's just something that we're going to have to deal with. And it seems like people are tired of you know hearing about it. And maybe that these these candidates are just not even not even wanting to bring it up. So that's just my thoughts. But uh, we got to move on down the list here. Uh, we're going to take a break right quick. But when we come back, we're gonna we're gonna talk about the transparency uh, transparency in the Louisiana Department of Wildlife and Fishery. So we'll be back right after this. Hunt Fish Talk on WWL 105.3 HD2. Welcome back to Hunt Fish Talk. We're going to get to another topic here, and that is the transparency in the Louisiana Department of Wildlife and Fisheries. Uh, as well, you may have well known uh, we've had some bumps within the last decade as far as everything with Charlie Malasso on, ethics issues after that. Um, our Department of Wildlife and Fisheries here, it, we, it needs to be transparent and operating with it with the sportsman's best entrance, interest. And um, let's face it, in the, in the past, the fishermen have not had too much trust in the, in the department. And uh, as far as the media goes, we, we've all had our trouble getting information from them. So the governor gets to make the appointment of, of the secretary of the LDWF. So who wins the election directly affects how the department goes. Don, uh, what are you looking for in a candidate, and how high does this rank on your list of importance? Well, it's of uh, severe importance to people who care about the state's natural resources. I mean, this is the agency that's charged with uh, conserving, preserving, enhancing, and enforcing the state's laws and setting the regulations and rules for wildlife and fisheries, for everything. Um, i got to tell you, this last governor, I'm not happy with some, a lot of his selections, uh, I've been covering this agency for 30 years, and i got to tell you, this, this last bunch that has come in there, without missing any specific names, is probably the weakest I've ever worked with. I think there have been some people that have been put in there that was payback for other things that they did for helping a candidate get elected that were not the best qualified people. I've seen a lot of good, hardworking, dedicated people retire earlier than what they expected or what I expected based on the the environment that they're working in there. I've put in requests for information on a number of things. Uh, they drag their feet. They, they avoid me. They don't want to give me the information. But I think the most shocking part about wildlife and fisheries, this latest administration, was early on when the new regime administration came in, they actually were sh- conveniently and uh, selectively shutting certain pe- media people out. And that yep. smacks of Russia. I mean, that, that you, the media is the lifeblood of this country, the freedom of the press, access to public information, which the public should have. Uh, they were telling people, don't talk to this person, don't give them any information. Uh, you can't have that. You, can't, you, you just can't have that because then it becomes a to- totalitarian uh, administration, and they, they call all the shots. They keep the public from getting involved. And just as a, it's a, a kind of a programming note, on October 12th, Election Day, uh, this whole two-hour More Outdoors program is going to be dedicated to talking about Louisiana Department of Wildlife and Fisheries and what the, shoot, the new governor, whether he wins that day or it goes into a runoff, should do to improve that organization. I tell you, there's a lot of room for improvement in it right now. Yeah. Wendy, your thoughts? I I agree with a lot of Don's points, and I'm still scratching my head over how it took a while for us to find out they were planning an airstrip on Elmer's Island, okay? (laughs) I mean, to me, that was a big... That was a big issue. Um, But bringing it down to brass tacks and basics, 
you know, number one, the governor is going to choose this person. And on what basis? Okay, what are the requirements? What what requirements does this person have to meet in order to hold this all-powerful position? The other thing is, because the Department of Wildlife and Fisheries has its own budget, apart from the state budget, although taxpayers, we do, by, by way of licensing and things, we do contribute to their budget, okay? How much transparency can we actually expect? Or can the governor actually expect when they have their own budget separate from the state? It's almost like a conflict of interest to me. But I do agree that there should be transparency and that we should be given all information above board ahead of time and not after the fact, like quite a few things that were leaked and that the media found out about totally by accident. This this should not be the way, but I think there's a little bit of a conflict there in that they may not operate exactly to the same level of transparency of all other government entities because their budget is separate. That may be simple thinking on my part. I don't know that that, that has anything to do with it, but the secretary would be the direct liaison to the governor. There is no other liaison. A lot of other agencies have a liaison between that agency and the governor. The only one we have is the secretary he chose. I think that's a weak link in the transparency equation. Donna, that's, and, that's very interesting. Yes, it's important. Donna, I'd like to get your, your take on that. Do you think the funding to, to that department is a mirror of their transparency and, and what, what they can skirt around as far as the media is concerned? Well, I don't know if funding is, is directly responsible for that. Uh, you know, like some other agencies um, in other states, it's pretty much self-funded. I would like to see some legislation to where uh, some general funds are diverted into the Department of Wildlife and Fisheries rather than relying on license fees and oil-producing properties that put money into the coffers because uh, I've always said if you if you breathe the air if you drink the water if you eat the seafood besides the fishing and hunting aspect of it wildlife and fisheries is responsible for a lot of that and I think that should be contributed to by the entire state's population through general funding Uh, not totally certainly they've got their own producing revenues but there should be some general funding to help bolster it and give them the resources they need to do a proper job of managing our resources but getting back to the the head of the department being appointed by the governor, and that's his choice, uh, I've covered it where I've seen uh, political people be appointed to the Wildlife and Fisheries Secretary position, some people with scientific backgrounds. Uh, Joe Herring, for instance, he worked in almost every division of the department. He was well-rounded. I've seen some mm-hmm. people who have been great administrators but don't understand wildlife and fisheries. And then you've got the commission appointments. That's something else that the governor does. He appoints those commissioners. I've been saying for years that should be changed legislatively to where those people are either voted in or get in there by some much more restraining criteria. In other words, you've got to have representatives from each user group or every industry. And it's not that way. It goes heavy some ways and lighter on other, and okay. that's up to the governor to make those appointments. So it's, it's very critical that the governor structure this agency to be the best that it can be. Uh, I'll tell you one of the best secretaries I ever covered was uh, Secretary Robert Barham. The guy was a, a longtime uh, legislator. 
He was a hunter and fisherman from his birth, and he was a great administrator, and he made some very wise decisions under some very tough conditions. He was there during the BP oil spill. He was there during Hurricanes Katrina and Rita. He, He battled a lot of adversity, and he came through. That's the kind of man that the governor needs to appoint. Not someone who is just a, a one-trick pony that knows only one thing or somebody who's pretty savvy politically but doesn't understand the wants and needs of fishermen and hunters. It's a very important position, and I haven't heard anyone say, and I know they're not going to say the person's name or the people they would consider, but certainly they should make it public and what the qualities of that individual they're going to put in there are and then stick to it. Yeah, and you bring you bring up a good point about just filling a void. It's, it's maybe payback for a politician who's uh, worked for their campaign or something. A lot, a lot of times, I see them name somebody, and I'm like, "Well, wait, this guy has nothing to do with hunting or fishing. What, why is he in that spot?" You know, I think it's exactly. simple. We just we we just need a strong leader who's passionate about hunting and fishing to get in there. Is going to do the right, right thing. I mean, it, it's it, this is not hard. We we covered coastal erosion. We covered uh, <laughs> diversions and and private private waters. This is not a hard one. I mean, you put somebody in here who cares about the job, cares about conservation, and uh, can team up with the hunters and the fishermen. Look, we're not against the Department of Wildlife and Fisheries. They they play a vital role role in what we're doing out there. So let's just team up together and and not have that friction between us. But, uh, well, like because said, we... this is because this is sportsman's paradise, and so many people in this state enjoy hunting and fishing in the outdoors, and and so many people from out of state come here for that reason. A wise candidate would have already thoroughly thought through who this person would be, because if if you're going to point the finger and say, "I want you to be my secretary," it is a huge job, but I don't have to want I don't want to have to worry at all about wildlife and fisheries, marine management, fish, honey. I don't want to have to worry about any of it. That's the person he should have buttonholed for this position. Yeah. It Where like he has people... full, full trust in their ability to handle all of these issues. Yeah. Somebody that, that's going to work on the offense instead of playing defense constantly. It just seems like uh, the part of the wildlife fisheries is back on their heels most of the time now instead of, of being proactive in, in some of the problems that we face in, in Louisiana. But we're going to get to uh, we're going to get to the break here, and uh, we're going to move on. We're going to talk a little bit about the changes in the fish records rules uh, and some added categories as well. So uh, we're going to get to that right after the break. Hang tight. We'll be right back. And welcome back. We've been discussing the upcoming gubernatorial race and what matters to you, the sportsmen and the sportswomen of Louisiana. Um, Hopefully we've given the listeners something to think about as far as doing some research into the candidates. And let's just hope that we can get the right guy in there, Uh, one who's going to work for the sportsman's best interest in, uh, in this upcoming term. Okay, let's switch gears here. We've got some changes to the LOWA fish records in uh, 2019. As I mentioned earlier in the show, LOWA, it, it, they run the uh, fish records here in Louisiana, and it's the only state that does that. Uh, the rest of the country, their wildlife and fisheries uh, does the records. So we do it a little differently down here, and, and i got to say I, I think it's the best way. Uh, one, one of the things that I like about LOWA, uh, what it does is, it's able to incorporate the fish of the year awards into into the banquet every year. So that adds a nice touch to it, um, where in other states it's done by wild, 
Department of Wildlife and Fisheries, and there isn't any awards banquets uh, for the winner. So it's really nice to see those who win the Fish of the Year awards and, and meet them, and usually they bring their families, and it's a big deal to them. So I really enjoy that addition to the banquet. The banquet you know, primarily focuses on the members of the Writers Association, so it's nice that they intertwine the winners of the Fish of the Year you know, into the into the banquet. So let's get to some of the, the changes here. And the first one is, uh, in the past, if you caught a fish and it ranked in the top 10, you had to call out a biologist with the wildlife department, of wildlife fisheries, and they had to come out to you and uh, inspect the fish to make sure it is what you say it is. Uh, but now they, they've changed it to only a fish that places that the number one position has to be physically inspected, uh, in person to be legal. Now, anything that falls between number two and number 10, you can send in a photo and have the photo looked at by a biologist and, and get the thumbs up or thumbs down from him. So what do you guys think of this? Is it a good move, uh, loosening up the rules a bit? The fishermen don't have to go through so much trouble in, in registering fish. Uh, Wendy, we can start with you. I think that some of the complaints we've heard is that um, tracking down a person who fits our qualifications as a biologist, and I think there were a couple of, of other stipulations. I think it was laborious and m maybe prevented some people from pursuing having their fish considered as a record. Um, so this eases that up a little bit. And, and, of course, you know, record holder place number one is the most important place to a lot of people. So I think keeping that um, requirement to a physical um, viewing by a biologist and, or other qualified person, which is all laid down in our rules, by the way. I think it's a good idea to have that, if you're vying for position number one, to have that fish physically checked out. And just to tag on to what you said, you can submit a photo. Now, now we're assuming that you visited the website, louisianaoutdoorwriters.com, before you're applying, but the application is there, and that you've read all of that and you know um, the fish records are there. You can download a PDF file so you can have some idea where your fish is going to go in that lineup. So if you know for certain it's just a contestant for second through tenth, then easy breezy. All you got to do is take a photo of, you know, the top side and the underneath side of the fish, um, according to the guidelines and fill out your application and dot every I and cross every T. It is imperative that people understand that has to be done. It, we are rigid about that, and we're rigid about that for reasons, because it's very competitive. People take this very, very seriously. But we, like Keith said, there are some changes. The application has been updated. Everything is on the website, louisianaoutdoorwriters.com to make it easier, although you still have to download the application and the checklist and print them and sign them and have it certified, you know, and mail all that in. You still have to do that. We're not going electronic on all of that yet. I don't know that we ever will, but I just also want to add that Louisiana Outdoor Writers has been keeping these records since the 1940s, and um, our fish record chairman is um, Lyle Johnson, and, and uh, he's doing a good job, and he updates those as often as he can. I also want to clarify that just because your fish becomes a new record, whether it's first or second through tenth, 
doesn't mean you will automatically be chosen as Fish of the Year. The Fish of the Year Award is selected from new new records, first through tenth, for that year, but it's selected by the Fish Records Committee, which is a group of people who are are judging the Fish of the Year Award on different criteria. I just wanted to make that clear because someone was confused about that. Just because you have a new record doesn't mean you're automatically chosen for Fish of the Year Award. Right, right. If you get any kind of record, you're in into the the group of people that get voted on. Glad you glad you clarified that. Don, that you have some experience. Don, you have some experience with this with uh, your nephew Drew uh, with the striped bass. Any complaints from him? <laughs> no, no, he's, he was quite honored to get that, and I think certainly he deserved it. It's the most outstanding catch, and that is left up to the discretion of the committee members what is out, more outstanding than another catch. I mean, all these selectees, the nominees, are certainly outstanding, but it's the most outstanding, and, of course, if anyone read his story and heard his story, uh, I think they would agree it was pretty outstanding. But, Wendy, I'm a little confused. Even though I'm on the Fish Records Committee, unfortunately I yeah. was not able to attend that meeting. Uh, you guys insist on having that meeting on Saturdays when I work every Saturday of my life instead of having it on a Tuesday or Wednesday. Tell me about the picture taking. How are we ensuring the integrity of those second through tenth places without a biologist verification? It's a photo of... From from what I read, and Keith can clarify this, it's a photo of the top side and the underneath of the fish. And unless there's something more that I didn't read about, my understanding is that's all the um, the ID that is needed. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, I, I think for most, a lot of the fish species, redfish, for example, flounder for another. I think that's pretty cut and dry. You know, uh, a picture could tell that. Now, you get into some of these species, which involves counting the number of rays in a dorsal fin because the colors can be kind of blurry. There's a lot of gray area on on colors and and other earmarks on the fish. I think maybe some of the other fish might have required a biologist, uh, you know, authentication. True, it's not a number one, but still, I think to maintain the integrity of those records, and that's extremely important. In fact, it's the most important about maintaining fish records is that people have confidence that the fish was certainly what it was, uh, category it was entered into, that the weight was accurate, and, and all the rest of it. So, you know, maybe some of these other species that people are less familiar with that, that are very hard to identify from one to another, may, and some of the brim species are like that, too. Maybe, Maybe so. And Don, I wasn't at that Fish Records Committee meeting where this decision was made, so I'm not certain how that went down. Keith, were you? I was not. Um, my question is, is, can it be a digital photo? I'm assuming they have to have a actual printed out uh, photos to mail in. Uh, do you know anything about that? Well, the, the rules have always said you had to have a photograph attached with it, right. but I don't know how explicit a photo is necessary for a biologist to make a positive identification. Some of these species are pretty tough. Striper, hybrid striper, uh, white bass, yellow bass, uh, you know, Mm -hmm. some of those are a little tough to to, to do with just a photo if it's not a good, clear photo. Item number six on the application says, a clear photograph showing the side of the fish from nose to tail must must be submitted with the application along with a photo of the angler and Mm -hmm. rod and reel used to catch the fish. Well, I'll give you another example. Um, Kentucky bass. 
you know, versus yeah. a largemouth. Yeah. A lot of times there's several criteria the biologists use, one of which is feeling inside the fish's mouth for the, the, the teeth on yeah. the tongue, you know, because the colors can be deceiving and the shape can be deceiving sometimes. I mean, you look, all well, fish are not created equal. So well, maybe it's, it's something that needs, needs to be revisited. Uh, might need to be, might need to be. Yeah, I think it's all going to work out. Let me just let me just say uh, I've, I've talked with uh, the chairman of, of the Fish Records, Lyle Johnson. He's been doing it for years now and does a great job with it. And I'm pretty sure he's in agreement with any loosening of the rules uh, that brings down the chance of him having to disqualify somebody is a good rule change. He, he talked to me, I think it was back in when we had the uh, banquet in Natchitoches. And, man, the stories he had as far as, having to disqualify people because of, of, you know, a technicality in the rules. He struggles with that. He told me um, whether it be the, the, the record was sent in a day late or, you know, it didn't have, wasn't examined by a biologist or something like that. Um, so I think changing yeah, but the I, rules. I think, to, I think you'd have to ahead. agree. A fish entered in the wrong category is pretty serious. <laughs> well, as far as I, I meant the uh, – the yeah, the fish, little technicalities. You know, the I little can understand. Like, like Wendy yeah. said, dotting the eyes and crossing the T's. He knows what right. it was, but he, they don't follow the rules. Yeah. You know, everybody's got to follow the rules. Right. So. Well, a day a day late past the thirty day, you know, time right. limit. Those kind of things. But I mean, if you put a, a largemouth bass in a Kentucky bass category, mm, not good. <laughs> Winner. <laughs> Winner. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Second place for well. sure. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. So uh, well, we were running out of time. I was hoping to get to some of these additions of fish here. Uh, we've got a few bullhead catfish, uh, black, brown, yellow. Man, I tell you what, I don't know if I could tell the difference in a yellow bullhead catfish rather than a tabby cat or those yellow belly catfish. But uh, I, I guess we we got some Internet to, to look up on that. But um, anything else, guys, as far as... Well, maybe give out the website where all the rules are plainly pointed out and also the number of species that, that, that we keep records for. They could find it all there. Well, Wendy, are we still at the same address? We have a new website, yes. So now it's really mobile compatible. But um, if you type out louisianaoutdoorwriters.com, it will take you to the new website. And the menu item is um, awards and records. If you click on that... There's a drop-down menu where it says Fish and Game Records. Click on that, and it will take you to the page that has everything there that you need to know. All the PDF files, applications, and all the records are there. All right. Sounds good to me. That's going to do it for the show. Had fun. Hunt Fish Talk. We do it every month. So look forward to talking with you two next month. All right, look forward to North Shore Fishing Report next Saturday. We'll North Shore Fishing Report next Saturday, the improved speckled trout bite. Be safe out on the water. Old Man Winter here. If I had it my way, it would stay winter all year long. Short days, wind chill, black ice, and a good polar vortex. Oh, <laughs> Heaven. Wait, is it getting warm in here? Your cold snap is over, Old Man Winter. Spring has arrived. Spring. Spring is here, which means it's the perfect time to get away in the Hyundai you've always wanted. Visit the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event, where you can get great deals on all of our award-winning Hyundai models, like the tech-filled Tucson and Kona, as well as the spacious Palisade. Enjoy wherever you go with the peace of mind that comes with America's best warranty and three years or 36,000 miles of complimentary maintenance. But hurry in. These deals won't last. Add more joy to your journey at the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. 
Now get 0% APR or up to 1500 bonus cash on the Hyundai Tucson. Now, during the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Offers end soon. Call 562-314-4603 for details.